Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 2, Deep State. The Deep State is real. And it's just that, a 51st state, hidden from the American people, and unacknowledged by the federal government, even as it pulls the government's most important levers. How do you hide an entire state? You bury it. Deep. In Civics 101, we're taught the particulars of the visible constitutional state. The one you can visit in Washington. The one you vote for. Deep state is just a new term for a phenomenon that's influenced American democracy for 150 years. To many, it describes another more shadowy, more indefinable government. That description is accurate, but it's not the whole story. In July 1861, weeks after the first major fight of the Civil War, the first battle of Bull Run, members of President Lincoln's inner circle nervous about his chances at reuniting the nation, decided the country needed a backup plan in case the capital fell. They sent a small group of civil engineers called the Shovelmen to scout locations in the West. Today, some say the hole dug by the Shovelmen, believed to be underneath the Colorado-Wyoming border, houses a powerful bureaucracy rumored to be 600,000 strong. So why is a shadow government, designed to silently run the real version of American democracy, suddenly a regular topic of conversation within the constitutional state? Is there dissent in today's deep state? What's the ultimate goal of deep state leadership? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Jim Dial. Did you ever have a beloved relative who was wronged or harmed by some faceless bureaucracy? Maybe a giant healthcare system or maybe an unfeeling state system? Well, what if no one even knew that nameless, faceless bureaucracy even existed? That's the plight of our guest for today. We will get to Amber in one minute, but first I want to talk a little bit about geography. So last week, we spoke to subway worker Martina Krachlikoff, who had some startling claims about the mole people who live underneath New York City. According to Krachlikoff, the mole people are organized in a caste system. And in the 1990s, the elite mole people forced the lower classes of mole people to dig a 2,800-mile tunnel from New York City to the Intermountain West. We don't know whether the mole people did this on purpose, but their underground route followed the exact path of the shovelmen, just underground. For anyone new to this season, the shovelmen were a group of highly trained civil engineers, many with West Virginia mining backgrounds, dispatched by members of President Lincoln's inner circle to secure a headquarters for a possible union in exile should the South win the Civil War. 
When they left Washington in 1861, they traveled through the southernmost Union-free states, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa. They reached the western part of the Nebraska territories, which would later become Wyoming, and began digging at the southern border with the Colorado Territory. But why there? Were those the shovelman's orders from Lincoln's men in D.C., or did they just find some pliable earth they believed would work for an underground bunker? Historians of the deep state believe it may have been a combination of factors. Territories were indeed owned by the federal government, which made them a logical place for federal government leadership to build a backup plan. But before leaving D.C. to head west, the shovelmen also researched various regions within the territories, studying things like soil type, topography and slope stability, average precipitation, and groundwater levels. And that, we think, is why they settled on this part of the country to begin digging, though we don't know for sure exactly where that point was. Hopefully we'll be able to secure a guest or two who can give us a little more insight into that geographical history. But this week, I'm here with my regular co-host, grandmother, musical consultant, and expert in underground cities, Muriel Walland. Hi, Muriel. Hi, Jim. How are you? Oh, I'm good. I I was just thinking about the statement that I made to Mr. Ford Hanger about the, the residents, or at least the residents that I suppose have taken up in the 51st state underground. Right. So Ford is our other co-host. So Ford is the other co-host. And he said, well, you mentioned Tupac, Biggie, Jimi Hendrix, and Janis Joplin. That's that. But there are other white residents of the underground. And I did some digging. And I found some folks who fit the bill of not being on the registrars for either heaven nor hell and could be in the deep state oh. after they died before their time. How did you do that research? I just did a little digging, you know, a little lever pulling here and there. I'm well connected as a consultant in Sheol. You know, we, we're we a really small, tight-knit community. And so yeah. I have my ways, let's just say that. But let me get to the list, mm-hmm. shall we? Okay. Sure. Yeah. So Paul Walker, Fast and the Furious, he's, a, he's unaccounted for. Ah. Brittany Murphy, the Kennedys, Casey Kasem might say, oh, well, he didn't die before his time, but he did and he's unaccounted for. That's pretty much it I've got right now. But So when you say unaccounted for, you mean that they are literally not on the rolls of heaven or hell. And so they're somewhere else. We just don't know exactly where. There's a list. They have it in Google Sheets now. Mm-hmm. But there's a list and it's just it's not on there. That list has all names either in heaven or hell. There's a name and then there's a checkbox that says heaven, hell, not dead yet. And there's no check under any of those three boxes. What do we think that means for those people? There's a lot of well-connected mortal people. They could be funneling through some sort of, I'm not going to say Illuminati, but Illuminati. They're the cutting edge. They're the performers of their time. They're making waves. And they say, you know, you got a target on your back. We got to get you underground. Like they did with the ten, the Kennedys yeah, so and these Brittany are all, Murphy and Paul Walker. All the people you're naming are all performers? They're performers of some sort, you know, but this underground society, they're going to be the leaders of it, you know. And when they're above ground, they got a target on their back. And they know that one day they're going to be called up or down 
either to heaven or hell, and they want to escape it and live forever underground. And again, this is your sources for this are... My friends and she all, you know. I mean, my boys, my grandbabies, Mephistopheles, Behemoth, and Paxton, they all go to daycare, okay? And when they're in daycare, you know, I get to talking with the other grandmamas and the other folks in Sheol. You know, I'm a consultant, so I got deep networks, too. So, you know, you get to talking and you you rub someone's back, they rub yours, and the next thing you know, you have a list of where everyone's going after they die. It seems like you did some good digging and we might... We might learn more. I'm a regular Perry Mason, and he is unaccounted for, too. So if you'd like more background on our season, Exploring the Deep State, you can listen to our first episode or go to our website, optophobia.org, for more context. Unfortunately, our scheduled guest for this week from Gumbranch, Georgia, claims adjuster Todd Sapcuff was unable to join us. I have Ken in Gumbranch. When he agreed to be our guest today... Todd forgot that it was his daughter's eighth birthday. Mm. He emailed yesterday and said he was trying to, quote, get out of it. But apparently that didn't happen. So he couldn't make it. But we are very fortunate because we were able to book an amazing last minute guest. Amber Hudgens is with us. She's visiting the studio. Amber, welcome to Optophobia. Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Jim. I'm happy to be here. I am a logistics director at StuffCo. That's a hauling and storage company in Ashtabula. I've uh, been hauling and storing since my late teens. And I am here because my Aunt Crystal, she died of lung-related diseases. And I believe she contracted those diseases in what she called the DL, the depressed lands. And I, I loved her very much. And I'm here in her memory to talk about what happened in the DL. I'm sorry for your loss. But let's back up a little bit. You're from Astabula. Correct. Uh, that's up Interstate 90 past Payneville, uh, northeast of Cleveland. The hauling business that you mentioned, is that a family business? You said you've been doing it for a long time. When people depart this world. They leave items, objects behind. And in my family, there was a lot of uh, dying. And so there was uh, things around. And so I thought, well, what do you do with these things? You know, a lot of people just throw them in the lake, Lake Erie or the, you know, and you don't want that. And uh, so I thought, let's do something with these items, these objects. So um, I, I took them, I hauled them away. I tried to assess if they had a market value, and if they did, I sold them or I put them in storage. And then I decided, you know, I like this. I like looking at people's things and recovering them and finding a new home for these things that were loved ones. So it's very fulfilling. It's very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. I, I did that after I got out of the Marines. When were you in the Marines? I was 18 when I joined the Marines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then things didn't go so well with me in the military. But I feel like I have a very strong sense of discipline and perseverance that the military taught me. And I apply that to StuffCo. And you saw sort of an opportunity to take the objects of a life of people you knew and sell those? Correct. And I have a little bit of a, I'm not sure if I should talk about it, but there's a bit of a side business Sometimes people ask you to take things 
and put them places. And I do that for them. So you haul them to somewhere else. Correct. So you would say that some of that work is strictly on, not to use a triggering term, but the DL? That is correct. I think that would be the right terminology for that. You're very, very... Mm -hmm. But what you do, I mean, it sounds like a much needed, much needed service. I mean, if I could get you to come and clean out my grandbaby's room, I mean, they've got everything in there. They have their Xboxes and their GameCubes and their Sorcerer's Stone and their divining tablets and their <laughs> their raw flesh. You know, it's just I got to take that stuff and put it somewhere. Am I right? The raw flesh especially. You, do, you, you don't want that. You don't want you that don't to want be that left out. out. Do they have Ouija boards? I mean, tell me about it. They have so many Ouija boards. I can do something with those. Okay. Yeah, there's a market. There's a oh very hot, very hot market. Oh, good. Board. Good. Well, we'll talk after, okay? Yes, ma'am. Much of your life, it sounds like, is devoted to other people, their lives, and making sure that what they had in life has its own life after they're gone. Yes, sir. People think it's just stuff, but it's not just stuff. It has a totem-like value to people. They kept that stuff around for a reason. What kind of items are we talking about? We're talking about, you know, dehumidifiers. You know, as Muriel just mentioned, uh, game consoles. Those are very, you know, um, small statuettes, uh, plaques from service awards that they got at their jobs. Important outfits. Mm -hmm. Do you have any religious figurines like little saints or Virgin Marys or any of that? Yes, we oh, have. The boys love playing with those. I have a special storage unit just for religious figures. There's some appliances in there, too, because I couldn't segregate completely. And I really do like to segregate if I can. The odd version of Guadalupe ends up in a microwave. Mm. I hate that, but it does happen. Okay, let's take a, a quick break, and we'll be right back with Amber Hudgens. Hey, Optophobes. As we explained last week, this season we'll be telling you about new products from Blend Venom Solutions that we've designed to solve one or another of modern life's nagging problems. Specifically, we're using different combinations of snake venom and other natural ingredients to create tinctures, balms, unctions, and eye washes to soothe people's biggest anxieties and eliminate their fears. This week, I'd like to tell you about a new ointment that our friends, the residents at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters Elder Care community in Shalimar County, Florida, have been helping us develop. It's called Najasium Lotus Flower NX, and it wipes away that feeling of panic when you think about your parents dying. Najasium Lotus Flower NX uses the venom of the Indo-Chinese spitting cobra, specifically postsynaptic neurotoxins, metalloproteinases, and powerful cardiotoxins to induce trace amounts of cranial palsy and respiratory depression in your system. These physiological reactions redirect your brain's psychological focus from worrying about being alone in the world without your progenitors to the possibility of your own imminent death. Residents at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters secretly tried Najasium Lotus Flower NX on their visiting, often weeping children after telling them that they had just one week to live. In more than 15% of cases, Najasium Lotus Flower NX caused such a degree of personal panic in a visitor that we needed to call in the EMTs. Success! Try Najasium Lotus Flower NX today. Blend Venom Solutions. We take away your fears using snakes. We are back 
with Amber Hudgens. Amber, you were talking about your business, which is fascinating. I want to talk a little bit about how that's connected to the deep state. You mentioned your aunt, obviously somebody who you loved very much. Uh, Yes, sir. Auntie Crystal was sort of that quintessential aunt, the crazy one. And I loved her very much. Uh, When I was five or six years old, she went, quote unquote, out west. You know how people did that? They just went out west. And then she came back and she was a little twitchy, you know, and dark. She was weird. Wasn't my Aunt Crystal at all. And how long had she been gone? Four and a half years. Okay. And she came back and clearly things weren't 100%. So she moved into an apartment above the garage, my family household, on uh, Westover Street in Ashtabula, not far from the lake. And I knew something was wrong. And she was staying up really late. The light was on all the time. And I would see people coming and going. And I was kind of like, what's up? And how old were you at this point? Preteen. So kind of wondering what's going on generally, but definitely with Auntie Crystal. And then we kind of reconnect. You know, I see her coming and going in the driveway. We talk. And one day I asked her what's going on in, you know, in the apartment above the garage. Uh, You know, she kind of cops and says uh, she's having meetings about the place where she worked out west. She didn't mention anything about a thigh master coming to life and speaking to her in Latin, did she? Not at that point. Okay, just flapping about and saying something like Dominus Sancti. Ah, you know, this is like, because this was a while ago. It's coming to, was that a thigh master? I may, you know, I don't know. Muriel, why do you ask? Oh, you know, it's, I just, I have a hunch. Let's just say that. You know, I think I might have some thigh masters in the exercise area of my um, storage units. Well, they're known to do that. Are they? They're okay. known to do yeah. that. Um, sorry, but go go on, please, with your, your auntie. She sounds like a lovely woman. Well, she was not somebody who used a thigh master uh, maybe in the correct way. Yeah, anyway. So Bonnie Crystal is having these meetings, and she tells me later that she's talking to people who were also, quote, unquote, out west, and they all don't feel very good, and they're coughing a lot, and they're kind of sick. And Did you ask her what she meant by out west? I did, and eventually I found out. Out West was an area at the Wyoming-Colorado border. There's a gatehouse there. And Ani Crystal camped near there and did a lot of ayahuasca. So she was kind of like enjoying nature. And then somebody at the gatehouse said, hey, would you like to make a few bucks? And they took her through the gatehouse into the DL. And she started working in the DL as a custodian and cleaning person. She worked there for several years, and and then she came home, and she wasn't good anymore. And she was coughing, she was sick. And what I'm trying to do now is get a class action lawsuit going, because I think she got sick working in the DL, and many other people got sick working in the DL too. So we talk about the important people who work down there, but there were lots of Ani Crystals down there too. They were just cleaning up after the man kind of thing, and they deserve some compensation for what happened down there. So your Aunt Crystal had been inside what we call the deep state. That's what she told me. 
Yes. And I believe her. She had no reason to lie. And if you put a whole society underground, first of all, it needs to be cleaned because it's very dirty down there. It's underground. Second, that can't be good for your health down there. But they need the cleaning. So they take these people like the Ani crystals and they bring them down there and they exploit them. I can confirm because in the underground cities that I'm familiar with, like Sheol, I mean, we've got an underground portion and we use free labor for a lot of that stuff, but cleaning up ashes, cleaning up charred remains, cleaning up eyeballs, you know, you're looking at a lot of cleanup duty. If this is true and there's a deep state or a DL, and I know that someone like Brittany Murphy is at the helm, that they're, you know, not treating people well and they're, okay, here's my follow-up question for you. Do you want these people to pay dearly for what they did to your auntie? I do. I want them to feel it. I mean, I don't know that I want, like, direct administration of pain, mm. but I definitely would like indirect Got it. pain for them. I worked with Alanis Morissette right after she was dumped by Dave Coulier. Oh, jagged and little we, pill. Ouch. Exactly. We came up with that whole album together. And Dave Coulier is still paying to this day. Every time she scratches her nails down someone else's back, he feels it. That's exactly the kind of indirect administration mm -hmm. of pain I'm talking can about. We can do that. We can do that. Yeah. We'll talk after. Okay, great. Mary, I didn't know that there was an underground portion of Sheol. Is that something you designed? I didn't design it per se, just a little old me, you know, I'm part of a team. We had an architecture team and, and it's really, you know, in case... In case the, you know, you know, it's living in South Carolina, in case the North rises again or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But let's not dig too much into it. Okay. Okay. Amber, your Aunt Crystal, she had gatherings in her in her apartment. Did you ever learn what those gatherings were? Well, I believe now that they were attempts to convene with other people who were sickened in the DL. And they can't you can't do that. Like Miss Woland said, you can't exist above ground without a target on your back. So they had to meet in secret. And that's what they were doing there. I think they were trying to muster as much legal heft as they could so that they could pursue this. You know, uh, it was Aunt Crystal and don't let me get too legal here with you guys, but on Crystal and, and people similarly situated pursuing a civil action, a class action, because their strength in numbers. I have to say it's very exciting to have just even on our third episode, somebody who is one factor removed from somebody who'd been in the deep state. So thank you so much for coming, Amber. You're welcome. I really wish you could have uh, met Auntie Crystal and if there are any attorneys out there willing to pursue this on Auntie Crystal's behalf, you can find me at stuffco.com. I want to thank my co-host this week as well, Sheol's own Muriel Walland. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for being here. Next week, we'll talk to Craig Clansgree, a choreographer from Nibley, Utah, who believes the deep state governs what comes to the top of your Netflix queue. Thanks for listening to Optophobia. I'm Jim Dial, and I will leave you with this. Spending money on an empty stomach is like cartwheeling down an old, dusty wagon trail. If you've got theories about what the deep state really wants, we'd like to hear them. 
You can find us on our website at optophobia.org or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to Georgina Gustin, who played Amber Hudgens. Follow her on Twitter at at Georgina underscore Gustin. Liz Sanders played Muriel Woland. Liz performs with Madeline, a Washington improv theater house ensemble. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open. Thank you.